It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into the sick podcast with Draft Vogel. I'm John Vogel, your host, and we are going with quarterbacks today, guys. And so, again, want to thank you all for the support that you guys have given us. We've had some pretty awesome success here so far. A couple of videos, 1,000 uh, views in the first 24 hours. we got a great guest on here today. But first, we got Shane with us in the studio. Shane, go ahead, hit it. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The sickest NFL Draft show. It's gonna be sick. Sick. Good evening, everybody, and welcome into the quarterbacks episode. Joining us now is Justin Gamble, my co-host. As always, Justin, brand new Mike. Welcome I'm to the professional now, son. bro. <laughs> <laughs> my old one got crushed in the move, man. I opened up the box, and there it is, just dead to the world. So it's okay. Upgrade. It's okay. Yeah. Well, now, now everybody can hear you. You sound good. You sound good. You sound better. I feel good. I feel yeah. good. You feel better. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. That's great. So quarterbacks today, we got a really special guest with us. Uh, and this is a good friend of mine in the industry, Coach uh, Tom George. This man is a ex-Navy admiral. I, I don't know if I can say I can say that about the Navy, not the Marines. I think, I think that's how that works. And uh, 20 years, really solid guy. He's also a two-time state championship winner for two different states. Let's go ahead and bring Coach Tom George in. And CEO of the QB Impact Academy, and really happy to have you here, Coach. How is everything on your side of the world? And we go, oh, we're frozen. We immediately have a freeze. Coach, do we have you? Here we go. Now we got you, Coach. Now yeah. we got you. Yeah, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> you, you knew something was going to happen. So um, <laughs> any, anyway, I. I apologize. I'm humbled. Uh, you guys had me on. Um, I will. I'm a I'm a retired senior chief in the Navy, so I wanted to make sure that uh, that I didn't take credit for anything you were giving me. But I appreciate oh, the admiral. Oh, okay. Well, well, no, 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 no. Okay, I pre- trust well, me. Well. I appreciate. I wish I was getting the admiral retired paycheck. <laughs> I'm a I'm a retired senior chief. Did 25 see, years in the Navy. So see, that's the problem. Is I'm Army, uh, and your Navy. I appreciate and, you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is I'm Army, your Navy, and. You know, we have a big game every year that is kind of a big deal. Uh, and so, you know, like we're supposed to, we obviously, re- we respect each other, but I, I don't know all your ranks and positions. So I do apologize for that. I didn't make, take the time to learn. No, that. no, 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 no. Brother, no, wor- no worries at all. No worries at all. So I did, before we get into these questions and stuff and start talking about the quarterback position, I want people to kind of understand a little bit about you and what you do. Um, because first off, QB impact and, then, and that academy that you have set up that's over there, it's exploded the last couple of years, really. And with the amount of quarterbacks that you guys have in, you have several coaches that work with you now. And so 
talk a little bit about that and your and how that you kind of got into this side of the football world. Yeah, I was I was blessed to uh, to kind of start my coaching career in Florida, and uh, uh, you know it doesn't you know Florida, California, and Texas are kind of the big three in the country, and a lot of, you know a lot of guys that don't live in those states probably don't agree with me, but statistically that's the truth. And uh, with a little bit of tidbits from obviously the South and Louisiana and Georgia, but but most Division One and NFL guys come from those states. So I was blessed. I coached on a power, uh, a powerful team in Florida. So I used to have, you know, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban and Steve Spurrier back in the day. And those guys used to be on campus quite a bit recruiting our guys. So I built a lot of relationships with those guys. And uh, and and, and you know, I, I got fortunate. Those guys would come around and see me coaching quarterbacks. So I built kind of a network and, you know, I got to do uh, I, I, I got to do I got to go go to University of Florida as a guest coach at one of their camps one of their QB camps when Urban Meyer was there. And, and I've been blessed to do that. And then, of course, at the end of my Navy career, um, I built QB Impact. And for me, I didn't just want to be another football academy because I feel like there are a ton of guys that just train quarterbacks. Um, and really what I wanted to do is provide a platform for young people so that we could, we could use football as our as our platform, we could train guys to be elite QBs, but at the end of the day, I wanted to be a resource for them and their families. I wanted to talk about character. I wanted to talk about treating your parents with respect. I wanted to talk about academics. You know, so so although it's a football academy and my 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 skill set is coaching quarterbacks, man, I'll be honest with you, I take more pride in the the men that we're developing at QB Impact, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No. And that was one of the big things when you came on a couple of years ago, I think it was the JDV experience that you did with me. And we talked about this buildup and all of that. It's a great episode. It's up on YouTube and on uh, your favorite podcast platform. But you were, you were going, you're about to do that event at the AT&T stadium in Dallas. Yeah. And I think you had 150 kids signed up for that as well that year, maybe more. I might be undershooting you. Yeah, we, we, we had 200 um, and uh, um, we, we, I do, I do a big camp every summer. I, I don't, I don't do camps all year long. I think there's plenty of football camps out there, good and bad. So I do one big camp every summer and we've been blessed. Um, I partnered with the Dallas Cowboys and, and, uh, and most recently I, I used a phenomenal high school in Texas and, and, you know, we had 194 this year and last year, last two years prior to, we had 200. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's been good. We've had guys, my almost my entire coaching staff are, are ex-NFL or college guys. And, uh, and we have guys, we don't, I don't market anything I do as a way to get to college or get college offers, but, and a lot of camps do, and most of them, aren't successful at it, but we've had kids leave our camp every year. We had five, we had five college offers happen on site at our camp this year. And then last year we had four and that's just based on college coaches on site and seeing kids work over the weekend and spending time with them. So, man, you know, that's why we do it. And then of course I do a couple of seminars for parents and there, the game has become such a, such a solicitation machine um, for young people and it's turned into business and money that we forgot why we started playing the game in the first place. So I try to educate parents and, and help their, uh, their, their, their athletes, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yep. 
And the last thing I want to point out is I have a newfound respect over the last couple of years. I've been doing some high school football this year. I've been helping out with the local team a little bit when I'm able to, and I'm calling their games. Uh, you know, I called the last, I guess the playoff run. I was part of the playoff run this past year, but you know, leading into taking over, I have a whole newfound respect for the fact that you've won state championships in two different States. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> One uh, of them I, being Florida, correct? Yeah. Well, Florida, Florida and Oklahoma. And, mm-hmm. and to be, to be totally honest with you, man, I had really, really good players. And uh, um, I mean, our team in Florida, our entire offensive line, um, it, I can quickly say it. My, my left tackle went to Ole Miss. My left guard went to Miami. Our center went to uh, Air Force and then Central Florida. And then our other, um, our other right tackle went to Duke. And then our left guard was the state champion uh, um, um, weightlifter. So <laughs> we, were, we had a lot of talent. Nice. We were really good. My son was the center on the Florida team. And then my other son was the quarterback on the Oklahoma team. Um, so th- that's pretty cool, too, to have uh, uh, to be coaches on those two teams that my boys were, were playing on. But don't don't get a slip in. The other coaches may take credit, but we had really good players. No, absolutely. But you still have to go out there and you still have to win the games. You know, yeah. that's yeah, why no we play that. the games. Right. And that's the toughest part. It's a gauntlet. Those the state playoffs, especially in Florida, like that is a it, everybody's got good players down there in Florida, you know, so. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you got to think about it, right? You play five games in Florida to get to the state title game, right? So you, so if you think about it, you pay 10 high school games and then five games, right? That's half a season. You know, so those teams that advance in the playoffs every year, they're always going to continue to be better because they play so many more games than everybody else. And people don't, mm-hmm. don't realize uh, how much that makes a team better. Those kids literally, you know, over my three years at Jones, Oklahoma, where I won a state title in Oklahoma, those kids played four, three to four more games than everybody else every year because we were very talented. Wow, absolutely, yeah, no, that is that is huge, and you're doing it against better competition once you make it into that tournament as well. Oh, absolutely, and, and that's, absolutely, that helps as well. So let's get into some quarterback talk here, Coach, because that's why we got you here is to talk about the position, and we got to, we've got a pretty good lineup, I think, uh, to get us started with the conversation, but. What's the first thing that pops to you uh, or that you're looking at when you're watching a quarterback? Man, I'll be, you know, a lot of guys get caught up in, in the arm and, and, and their ability to escape. And although that's, those are all cool things to have, man, if they're not calm in the pocket, none of that matters. And, you know, so when I watch film on high school guys, because I, that's what I do, right? I watch film on high school guys and then I recommend them to colleges. And number one, I don't want colleges. I want colleges to trust my evaluation because uh, most guys have no idea how to evaluate film. And that's really a, a, a bad thing in, in this country right now is guys really do not evaluate film. So I, when, when that kid takes a three-step drop and makes a rhythm throw and, and, and the, the right guard, you know, misses his block, I, I like to see how he reacts. Does he have any, any calmness in the pocket? Does he tense up? Does he panic? Does he look at his feet? So, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I saw an ESPN special a couple of years ago on Tom Brady, and he he spoke about mental calmness, and and that's kind of what I try to teach our guys is if you, you 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 know we spend so much time working on speed and agility and working on throwing mechanics that if the way to the way to the way to practice mental calmness is to learn the playbook, study coverages, and do the things you can do at home, um, and kids don't do that enough. Um, kids win on athleticism instead of their brain. 
Um, Tom Brady won games with his brain so I, and Peyton Manning. So I truly believe that um, for me, it's important for kids to understand the playbook and understand the, the defense gives you the, gives you the answer every single play. And I try to tell my kids that if you understand coverages and you understand schematics and you understand scheme, you actually have an answer to every question pre-snap. You just choose not to study that portion of, of playing the game. So to me, that's where mental calmness comes from is slowing the game down. So you, you, you kind of, you kind of understand defenses and the offense you're using. Absolutely. Justin. Well, first off, excited to talk to you today, Tom. Man. I'm excited, <laughs> to, excited to pick your brain. Um, also, my dad's going to have a blast listening to this episode, being a former military guy and um, listening to you talk about like respect for your family and just respect for other people in general and competitors. That's amazing. So he's going to have a blast hearing this, but um, man, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. Um, what I was wondering, we and John were talking yesterday and I was just curious because, you know, I've been in this industry for a while now and seen all the different levels, high school, college, NFL. I played college myself, but when you are training or evaluating, mostly training quarterbacks, what are a few different things maybe that you do differently on the, you know, the different levels? So when you're training a high school kid to go to college versus a college kid to go, are, what kind of different things are you harping to them or making sure like, you know, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. How does that differ? Yeah. So the first thing I teach all our kids and we have a youth program, by the way, and, and I have a youth guy and all the way up to college guys that I train. And one thing I tell every single one of them is be successful at the division you're at. OK, so if you're a really terrible middle school coach, you shouldn't be worried about college recruiting. You should be worried about being a middle school football quarterback. If you're a front, the JV quarterback, you shouldn't be doing your you shouldn't be going to camp at Alabama. You should be worried about being a varsity JV quarterback. So the first thing I tell them is slow down and be great where you are at, because there's kids right now in fifth grade that are worried about recruiting. And it's baffling to me, but that we, we don't have that's a parent thing, which we don't have to get into right now. So. Yeah. So for me, for me, what's the most important thing to me for every quarterback from the beginning is their lower half their feet and their hips, you know? And so, and that, that doesn't mean do a thousand ladder drills during training, but that does mean getting your hips and your feet in the right place before you throw. We spend so much time on understanding arm angles and arm slots when we don't spend enough time on the lower half. So for me, the first thing I do is I talk about stance and I teach a staggered stance, right? So I would, now, now I'm also not teaching robots, okay? I don't want them to be robots because I understand that you can't sit in the pocket and, and, and your feet can't be perfect all the time. But I do believe that if you train your feet to be staggered, you will be staggered most of the time. So I teach a staggered stance and, and I think most successful guys and guys in the NFL teach that. And it basically, if you're a right-handed thrower, you know, I would like the left foot slightly back, slightly, slightly more back than your right foot. Um, that way when you throw to each angle or each, each portion of the field, it's the same jab step, right? Because because young guys like that get a wide base because they feel like they get power from their base instead of power from their back leg. So what I try to do is I try to work on consistency within their base and within their stance. Again, you don't always get to throw with perfect base and stance, but if you teach kids to do it the right way, then we're hoping when they have a clean pocket, 
they can drive the ball into the window they need to throw into. So for me, and and again, you know, I, I'm I, first of all, I'm not a genius, right? This all started years before me, and 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 I, I studied Aaron Rodgers quite a bit, and Aaron Rodgers talks about how he spends more time on his lower half and his hip rotation than he does. Um, then he does his upper portion of his body. And if you watch Aaron, you know, he, he throws with his lower half, right? So at the end of the day, I spend almost literally 60% of my time on the lower half, getting consistency in your base, finishing or starting with a staggered stance. I have guys put bands right above their knees so that when we do base work, um, their, their, their thighs and their feet get consistent so they don't get too wide. And I try yeah, to develop yeah. that muscle memory. Oh, I love that insight, man. Love that. And I'm yeah. glad you brought up uh, Aaron Rodgers, too, because I've seen a lot of people say he's just an arm thrower. He does. But if you ever watch him, all, a lot of those little quick flicks downfield and everything, his hips, he, he does that little hip flick where you can see his lower half's turning, and he's Dude, getting all of that motion. It's just so subtle. Um, but I think yeah, it takes yeah, a keen first, eye to see that. Yeah, first of all, Aaron Rodgers is all hip rotation. Yes. He is not Yeah, he is not an upper body thrower. Aaron, like – like I, I, Aaron's core is uh, is probably pretty phenomenal. Like he's all core and hip rotation, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. I'm glad you said that. No, yeah, no. I told you. What did I tell you, Justin? I said when we start asking, he's going to go straight to the base. That's going to be that's <laughs> good. Where, where do you think it. I learned it from? This guy. <laughs> I, I mean, it. it I mean, it, it makes perfect sense, right? If you and 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 the staggered stances too. I don't know why guys want to argue that. Why would you want to close off the field, right? So, you know, it's kind of like a boxer. If a boxer, when a boxer boxes, he's in a staggered stance. That's the strongest position you can be in. That argument doesn't, doesn't make sense. And, and I don't want to understand why quarterback guys have it because it is what it is. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to go always go right to the base. It's kind of like the philosophy of the arm dropping. We get caught up in, we'll see a young guy throw and say his arm drop. Well, what we don't realize is the body moves together. So if the arm drops, it's possible that his back hip dropped through rotation. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is instead of yelling the arm drop, like everybody else is yelling, I try to look at his, his hip to see if in rotation that right hip is lowering. And if it's lowering, it's possible his shoulders and upper half are coming with him. So a lot of times we get caught up in seeing things that, that look like they're the problem but we don't realize that the body functions together. So let's start with the lower half. And if you get the lower half athletic and tall, it's most likely his arm's going to be where it needs to be also. No, that's a good point too, because when you're teaching someone how to run properly, right? What, it, what, it, what it's one of the first things that you go to, it's arm movement. It's, it's because your arms naturally are in sync with your legs. You know, if you take a left step, right. Your, right, your right shoulder leans forward. And so pumping your arms is going to make you most of the time, make your legs move faster. So, you know, when you're at like that, you're right on point here when you're talking about, you know, your hip and that dropping and that being the reason why the arm drops. But again, it's something I just hadn't put together, you know, and that's why we have you on the show coach. Cause you, you got all this insight and you, and this is what we're sitting here taking notes and we're going, Hey, we're going to be uh, looking at quarterbacks this year and we're going to have a lot to say about quarterback. This is a great quarterback class upcoming in this draft that we're going to have to talk about. And here we go. Here's some of the stuff we'll be quoting coach Tom George on it. Right, man. I, I, well, I appreciate it. And I promise you it came way before me. So feel free to use as much as you, as much as you can, brother. 
So when you're a coach and you're trying to figure out how to help a quarterback, what I think you just pretty much answered this question, but we'll go. I had it written down. So uh, what has more <laughs> weight to focus on? Is it natural arm talent or is it mechanics? Um, well, well, first of all, I think you always focus on mechanics. However, um, you know, Reggie Miller was the, one of the greatest shooters of all time and his shot is terrible. Right. So I, I, so what I'm saying is I do, I do think there is something about natural talent. Right. So if I get a kid who's a high school player and he's an absolute stud and he's throwing it in tight, tight windows and he's getting out of the pocket and he's moving and his base is good. I, I, I'm not going to change him. Okay. I may talk to him about refining it and cleaning it up, but the last thing I want to do is change success. Not everybody does it perfect. And again, I think we're not, the goal is not to create robots, right? So at the end of the day, yes, I think sometimes there's really gifted young men with natural talent and the best thing you can do for them is not change them, but refine them. Now, don't get me wrong. If he's a youth football player, oh, we're going to change him. We're going to clean up his mechanics and get him and get him molded. But at the end of the day, I, I think everybody should have a baseline of mechanical work. I think, you know, there's a reason Tom Brady, we can argue if you want, but Tom Brady is the GOAT to some, and he goes to a quarterback coach, Tom House, right? The GOAT goes to a quarterback coach. So what I'm saying is even Tom Brady believed that he needs to refine his skills, and by doing that, he went to a private quarterback coach. So I think mechanics and a baseline of mechanics is where we should all start. However, I'm not changing a gifted young man. Just Side question: Can you explain what Philip Rivers? How how did Philip Rivers get velocity on any throw of his ever? I I've studied his motion so many times, and it it's never made sense. Um, I, I'll got, be honest with you, Philip Rivers may be one of those uh, one of those guys that you know that came from Mars and just does it the way he wants to do it. I can tell you right now, when I saw him at North Carolina State, I watched him live. So I was blessed. I had I was on the sideline at the Gator Bowl when Philip Rivers was at North Carolina State. They played Notre Dame, and I was a Notre Dame fan. That's how I got tickets to the to the game and got on the sideline. And I watched him go up and down the field against Notre Dame's defense with that motion. And I, I that's a perfect example, though. If you notice, he had it in high school. They didn't change it in college, and they definitely didn't change it in the NFL. You know, and the guys got you know, the numbers to arguably go into Hall of Fame someday. But that's probably a good example of your question, though, is Philip played big time Division One football. So those guys in the NFL just rolled with it. Right. Why change it? Right. Right. All time yeah, favorite so player ugly for so long. Oh, all time. Such my all time. Yeah, he's such a dog. Dude. He talks so much trash. I loved it. All time favorite player is Philip Rivers, and no Thank curse you. words. He does it without any curse words. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. It's insane. It's insane. It, that almost makes trash talking more intimidating. When it you makes can it do hurt it. more. You're like, yeah, oh, like, it's way worse. Not, it's way worse. You're not even <laughs> cursing at me right now. No, and, yeah. no yeah. yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> he was oh, great, geez. man. So go ahead, Justin. You got a question here, I think. Yeah, I did actually. I had so. I've played uh, high-level sports my whole life, and it's always been – when I watch quarterbacks, this is this question like weighs on me more than anything. Um, and it, it's so confusing because we watch guys like Lamar Jackson, Mike Vick, Justin Fields now, and I always wonder – and Steve Young briefly talked about this one time. And um, quarterbacks that are so good at running, so good at they, – they're 
elite runners and they're so mobile and that's such a big tool to their game. When you train one of these guys, is there part of you that works to kind of train that out of them? Because every rep that they run the ball or bail themselves out with that, that's a passing rep that they didn't get. Like in practice, if there's, you know, a guy running a deep dig and the corner is blanketed on him, Peyton Manning can't move. So he's got to figure out ways to locate that ball or use his arm velocity. Like he has to pass it. If you can just run out of it, you'll never get to see and test yourself and make that throw and figure out how to do it consistently or succeed at it. So when you're training a kid who's got so much in his tool bag, is it almost easier? Is it harder? What do you tell him to to get him to be a consistent passer while also allowing him to be that athlete that he is? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, and, and I will say, um, I, I don't, I don't like to compare Vic and Lamar and the rest of those guys you mentioned just because Vic and Lamar are different runners, by the way. They're completely, completely gifted runners. Steve Aliens. Young played Steve Young. Steve Young was a good runner in, in, in the West Coast offense, right? Like his offense wasn't even conducive to a QB running. Steve was just a pretty good runner. But at the end of the day, to answer your question, you know, I, I don't the, the Peyton Manning comparison is hard because here's the thing with QBs, right? You have to have a couple a couple of tools in your tool bag, right? Number one are your feet. Can you run? Um, your arm, you have the ability to, to throw into windows and throw it downfield. And then your and then the, the mind, right? Peyton Manning has a better mind than all those guys we talked about. Um, except maybe Steve Young, because he had a phenomenal QB mind too. So what what I'm trying to say is Peyton Manning didn't have to have feet because he didn't have to run from people because Peyton Manning knew what to do with the football pre-snap every single play. Um, same thing with Tom Brady. So what I would say is some of those attributes, those guys don't get enough credit for, right? The reason they didn't need to use those legs is because they were so gifted mentally in the game. Um, 90%, if you watch Tom Brady, he throws quick game almost every play. Uh, and most of the time his offensive line doesn't even have to block too long because the ball's out of his hands. Well, unfortunately, Vic didn't do that, nor does Lamar, right? So they have to use their legs. And and so it's a little bit skewed when you look at those guys. But at the end of the day, I think in today's game, okay, if if you wanna if you wanna put the big five on paper, they all use their legs. Even Aaron Rodgers has good legs. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I if you wanna succeed in college football and make it to the NFL, you have to have good athleticism and good legs. Nobody in college plays downfield anymore. Everybody plays with their legs. The RPO game is here to stay. I remember five, six, seven years ago when everybody talked trash about the RPO making it to the NFL and how the NFL would never adjust. And the NFL is too good. There's too much speed. And you can't do RPO in the NFL. Well, guess what? Teams winning the Super Bowl are doing RPO. So at the end of the day, RPO is becoming a facet in the NFL because it's a way to eliminate a defender without blocking him. Okay, and now you're taking guys with legs and and giving them open windows to throw the ball downfield. So for me, um, I'm the other way around. I'm I'm willing to take a guy who's a great runner and and help him mechanically turn into a great thrower. So he has two facets. I'm I'm training a high school kid right now that could probably play Division one football as a receiver but he can throw the ball downfield and he's going to be a phenomenal dual threat guy. So unfortunately in today's game, you're going to have to use your legs a little bit. And the top five or six dudes in the NFL are capable of doing that. Patrick Mahomes can use his legs. He's not a runner. Okay. He, he's not running Q run game plays, but he, he has the ability to use his legs. 
And and obviously the most underrated runner right now is Josh Allen. Josh Allen's a, a machine. He, said that. He, yeah. he just doesn't, I mean, and he's six six doing it. So at the end of the day, you know, Jalen Hurts proved that by using your legs and throwing the ball and being smart, you, you can win the Super Bowl. I don't think what they did with Lamar was smart. Now, no disrespect intended because they won a lot of games, but if you that's going to add up to that young man. He's going to – I mean, he's going to start getting hit a lot more. And when you do a lot of quarterback run game, that's different from RPO now, right? RPO is, is, is reading a single player and handing it off or running it and then throwing it, so there's options there. Baltimore was flat out running – quarterback counter and quarterback power and quarterback wide zone. Like that's a totally different facet of the game now. So um, I don't think that is successful. I do not think teams that go 1000% QB run game is the way to win Super Bowls. But I do think having a quarterback that can use his feet, that can read the field, that can drop back and throw a dig or a post, or he can read that RPO defender and throw a slant or hand it off. I think that's the way the game is going. I think that's the way the game is gone. And I think that's why, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, 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 and Jalen Hurts and, and Josh Allen and, and Justin Herbert and those guys are so successful and are the future of the league. So that, that brings up a question in my head, Coach, where it's we talk about, you know, running backs having – I mean, quarterbacks having to be able to run the ball and, and not so much being a direct runner – but do you think that at some point, some of these guys that we're talking about, Allen, uh, probably Hurts, uh, Lamar, definitely, guys that, that are going to be running the ball, when they start taking these hits and they start, you know, like, because they're taking a, a, additional hits as runners moving down the field, do they somewhat, does that impact their mechanics as they take more hits and maybe, you know, form bad habits? Yeah, I, I think so. I think. I think fatigue and I think taking hits creates that. But again, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't, for me, I don't compare Lamar Jackson to those guys because right. I think Lamar Jackson is a pure runner. I don't, and, and don't get me wrong, he's gotten better and they've done, done a good job with him. But if you watch Jalen Hurts and you study his film, he doesn't take a lot of big hits. Jalen Hurts runs RPO, he gets five or six and he gets down. Um, and, and Josh Allen does too, unless it's, you know, third and one, he's trying to get that one yard, but I think Lamar Jackson takes different hits than those guys do, um, because he's such a designated runner. Um, and, and I think, I, I think he just has to be smart. You know, uh, unfortunately when he came into the league, he was a, he was a little bit thinner than he is now and taking hits like that are always going to have an effect on your throwing motion. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if you understand that you're taking hits and you get down and you do things that Jalen Hurts is doing, you know, I think those guys are going to be all right because I think that's where we're going. So it doesn't – I think they're coaching that into them and they're working it in at practice. You know, I, I know I know. in today, if you go to college practice today, that, that stuff is worked in at practice where they're teaching guys to get down and teaching guys how to avoid contact. And, you know, so I think when a, a QB runs – he shouldn't run like a running back. He should run to get positive yards, and then he needs to get his butt down, especially in the NFL. Absolutely. And I think I'm thinking also, when I'm thinking about hits, I'm not just thinking about it as a runner, you know, because sometimes you have to maneuver in that pocket, and you're going to get blasted blindside. 
you know, uh, you get a left tackle messes up or whatever, misses an assignment, and you get blasted. So it's additional hits on yeah. top of what you already take as a quarterback in the pocket. You know, and I, I did wonder if that if if that is the issue. And you know, you've dealt with quarterbacks that maybe didn't take as many hits with the offensive line that you had in Florida, but you know, um, I, I I think guys that take hits in the pocket. I think it affects the game, their their game more than it does runners that take hits downfield, personally. Because being insecure about your offensive line is way different from taking a hit as you're running downfield. You know what I mean? Because now your vision changes, right? Now you're in the pocket and your eyes are at the ground instead of upfield. So and I you know, I agree with you. I think taking taking hits in the pocket, blindsided hits and hits at your knees and ankles are a lot more volatile than escaping, running downfield and sliding. So I, I, I do think taking hits in a pocket affect throwing mechanics and, and, and the ability to read the field. But I do think it's, it, it's, not as, it's not as critical as a Jalen Hurts who's running downfield and taking hits, if that makes sense. Right, right. So how would you refocus him as a coach? Like, like kind of pull him in, maybe in-game? Yeah. How, yeah, how do you I get mean, them refocused? Well, first of all, that's a play caller's problem, right? So number one – um, a lot of play callers don't call plays to help their offensive line. For example, if you go empty or if you motion the back and you go five-man protection every play, your quarterback's going to get killed, right? So, like, what I'm saying is the offensive coordinator, um, boot, sprint out, quick game, there's things offensive coordinators can do to give their quarterback more confidence and help him when there's bad protection going on. Oh, and by the way, bad protection doesn't always mean the offensive line isn't good. A lot of times the quarterback doesn't check the right, the right blocking scheme at the line of scrimmage or doesn't get rid of the football. For example, if quick, game, if quick game protection is called and every offensive lineman falls down and the quarterback gets sacked, that's on him because quick game is catch, step, throw, right? Yeah. So, but now everybody, every Monday morning quarterback on TV is screaming the old line sucks, but they don't realize it's quick game. So the purpose of quick game is catch, step, throw. You're not you're not you're not supposed to take a drop. You're supposed to catch that throw pre-snap. So, you know, I, I think there's things that offensive coordinators should do to help a kid who's getting beat up in the pocket. Um, me personally, when I was calling plays, I believe in starting the game with boot or sprint out or a quick, easy pass like a slant or bubble. So it gets the quarterback in a groove uh, before I don't I, I think you should never start a game with a dig or a post or a big route like that. Um, yeah. That's just my opinion. Because I like the I like QBs to get into a groove before uh, before they start having that confidence to let it rip. I like that. I agree with that. Especially in the preseason, you see a lot of these guys. Like uh, this past weekend, a lot of the rookies got. They were talking about it before, but they were like, "All these guys are going to get that quick, you know, little sprint out action or some some sort of easy something to get them going." Um, right. And then Bryce right. and then Bryce Young's first pass was like a full field read. They went empty, like trips on one side, and uh, they made him read like stick, and uh, they had a dig and a flat and like a, a whatever. But I was like, that's the first pass you give Bryce Young. Sure right. enough, he executes right. it, but it was just kind of funny because so many of them got the you know cupcakes for their first toss, and Bryce Young gets a full field five man routes thing. So I was like, geez, Louise, man. But yeah, yeah, um, that that's always tough on on your first NFL throw if you're the first round draft pick. You know, that's barely 5'8". That's always tough. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. 
man. I think I think he didn't hey, measure. Hey, he measured five ten. I love Bryce Young. I think he's a genius. I think he's a stud. And any guy his size go to Alabama and they did what he did. Not many guys can do that. I think he's a. I think he's a phenomenal human being. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. But but I I mean he's going to have to he's going to have to mature in the NFL now. Yeah, it's no secret he's he's very little and uh, he's got a small frame too. So he's right. he's got a little he's got an uphill battle with that. Right. Um, can I ask you a question? Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, Coach. Is it easier as a coach also to um, like I think about Josh Allen? He was a total gunslinger. He was throwing to a future insurance sales insurance salesman at Wyoming, so it kind of felt like his accuracy was all over the place. But I never really felt that way. He was just a very creative thrower to me, and he was trying to do things to guys that couldn't make plays for him. Um, but he was definitely willing to, you know, throw it around the yard. Is that easier to coach versus a guy who's scared to make plays and kind of holds the ball longer and he's not sure when to test certain windows and certain looks? You know, would you have the, the is it easier to coach something into someone or try and, you know, dial back Josh Allen a little bit? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and 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 I put and Aaron Rodgers is is one of those guys, right? That's something that he wants to throw into that that three yeah. defender window. Right. And I think, <clears throat> I think you'd rather have a guy that is not afraid to do that and kind of, and kind of get him to understand down a distance, you know, like if it's, if it's second and one, do you, do you throw a dig within, within over the top safety, a Sam linebacker underneath him and a Mike linebacker in the Tampa two zone? Do you throw that dig not. on second and one, or do you throw it into dirt and go third and one? Right. So for me, I like a guy that can put it in that window and who's not afraid to put it in that window because some guys who are afraid are going to take sacks. But the problem with that is they need to understand the game and they need to understand down and distance. And since you brought it up, I do want to reiterate, Josh Allen, um, I, I hate to – all those ESPN guys that, that were, were crushing Josh Allen about his, about his throwing percentage in Wyoming clearly are clueless and don't understand the game because you are 1,000% <laughs> right. And it drove me crazy. The kids throwing no. First of all, no offense to Wyoming either. I think it's a great no. program. But to compare the kids that he's throwing to versus Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma and Tua at at Alabama and and Justin Herbert at Oregon, it was so disrespectful. And you know those comparisons to say he had like a fifty six percentage or whatever it was in college, and then he goes to the pros and lights it up. That's a yeah. perfect example of mis misanalyzation of a young man in college because he was a freak. Um, and, and he's, in my opinion, in my opinion, um, he's the best quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. I agree with that. I agree with that. I don't want to say it too loud because I'll get canceled on football Twitter, but I, I agree with that. Well, here's the only thing I'm going to tell you. I have this argument about Mahomes all the time. All I'm saying is if, if you swap them teams, does, is Buffalo as good and is Kansas City as good? I think Kansas City is still as good, and I'm not sure Buffalo's as good. I'm being real. But Ooh. you you, you, you got to be careful because, <clears throat> first of all, I love Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a freak. I saw him on, on, the, on, the, on the Netflix series. He's a phenomenal human being. What he's done, what he did at Texas Tech. So this isn't a hit on him, right? It's, it's greatness and greatness. But what I'm saying is you, you got to understand he fell into the perfect storm. Now, he earned it and deserved it, okay, and he took complete advantage of it. But he fell into the perfect storm and 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 having those offensive minds, the enemy and Andy Reid 
and having that that group of coaches plus that group of offensive players around you is pretty darn good. You know, not a lot of guys can could even name some of the offensive players on Buffalo when Josh Allen got there. Right. I think they had a big time receiver. I forgot his name, but a lot of guys couldn't even mention those guys. And you remember in the playoffs, they went tit for tat. So, I mean, for me, I mean, six, six runs the way he does, throws at 70, throws into tight windows. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's an alien of a human being the way he, but no, I, I don't, Josh this, Allen really doesn't have great, many weaknesses. This is a great point. He's the coach bringing up too, because yeah. It's not even just that. It's look at the coaches. Look at the coaches. Yeah. You got most people don't great. know the name of the OC at Buffalo. Well, right now, right now, no. I can tell you <laughs> exactly. a couple That's years what ago. I'm Dable. I don't either. That's yeah, my point. Brian Dable. Right. Dable goes to the Giants, has a great year, yeah. obviously. But I'm saying look at the look at the everybody knows that's Nagy's uh, not Nagy, excuse me, sorry. Andy Reid's scheme in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Nagy Nagy's yeah. the OC there now. Um, well well, Andy Reid's team and the enemy was one of the highly touted OCs, you know, in, in the last couple of years, right? So he had Andy Reid plus he had the enemy. It's not scheme, though, Coach. It's, it, What's it's that? Andy's. It's not his scheme. It's Andy's. No, 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 no. You're you're 100% yeah. right. You're 100% right. But I do feel like – you're right. You're right. But I do feel like the enemy understood that it was Andy's scheme and understood how to call and coach within Andy's scheme. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, he was surrounded by great coaches and great players on the offensive side yeah. immediately – and a, a darn good offensive line. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. And they beefed up. They got Patrick to help. And, yeah, he went and won another Super Bowl. You know, so he's got probably one of the best tight ends of all time with him, too, and Travis Kelsey. I mean, yeah. this is it's a, I'm just saying, compare. just look at the head coaches. You know, it's, it's, it's Reed and it's a defensive mastermind in Sean McDermott. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Ad, advantage definitely Kansas city. You're raising a really good point that I hadn't really even thought too much about to it. Cause I was just, yeah, it's, it's Mahomes who's number one. But when you do think of the overall skill set of Allen, you, there is a, a very valid argument there. Absolutely. Yeah. So my comparison to AR people don't is Allen for me. So mm-hmm. when I see AR um, and I see the way he played in the sec my comparison is is actually Allen. A lot of guys make other comparisons, and I don't understand why. Because if you look at him and look at how raw he was at Florida and look at some of the things he did with his legs and his arm, I'm, he's actually my – I thought he was the best guy out of the draft last year. Not everybody agreed, but I think he's going to be the best quarterback that came out of last year's draft, if we're patient. Um, but he has a chance to be an absolute freak very soon. Yeah, no, absolutely, and he perfect timing to bring him up too because he's just became the the week one starter for the Indianapolis Colts. So yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah sir. Yeah, which which surprised. <clears throat> I think that surprised all of us. Honestly, we were thinking he would probably sit for a few weeks I mean, coming into the league. But right, you so the question is, do they, right? So do they protect him? Right? Do they do they run him every play like Lamar? Do they do they run some RPO like they did with Jalen Hurts? Right. So right, at this point in time. We know how talented he is. Is the OC going to do what's right with him, right? Uh, back to the uh, OC. I right? say yes. Yeah, yeah, I say yeah. Right, absolutely. I, I do. I do too. So, um, so I'm I'm excited about about the Colts, man. I feel like I feel like the NFL is better when the Colts can compete. 
The AFC is definitely better. Yeah, it's, it's really yeah, fun to I'll watch. Say, yeah. I'll say the as a tight as living in Nashville and as somebody that's like you know close with the Titans, I I have to agree that's always those are always better games when they're tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that too many people on the Titans to one thousand percent agree, but you know, yeah. So we'll leave it at that. Now, coach, uh, the evolution of the position overall. You know, because we've talked, I've talked with you a lot about this, like not on a show or anything, but, you know, picking your brain, looking at schematics and kind of figuring out where that's all going. And we talked, you know, off the air about, you know, reads and progress, like your, your one, two, three progression sort of fading away to obscurity. It's not really something that's competent, that really allows the quarterback to be competent. I mean, there's certain guys that can still do it, uh, but they're very rare. They're very few and far between. So where overall is the evolution of the position headed towards? Yeah, I, I think I think we will always teach reads, okay? But what I'm saying is there was a time in the NFL where the where you know the the concept of playing in the NFL was it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, you're gonna you're gonna get taught to throw the ball downfield, you're gonna get taught to read the field, you're gonna get taught to take a five or seven step drop, right? You're gonna get taught to protection. Um so what I'm saying is if you watch enough college football, you'll realize that not many guys are reading the field. First of all, RPO, RPO identifies the primary and secondary read right off the bat, right? If it's an RPO run, he's reading the DN or the three technique. And then that read, if, if he keeps it, that read moves to the outside linebacker or the mic, right? So in mm -hmm. RPO, transitional reads is you're looking at and identifying a player. You are not reading the field, okay? Second thing, quick game. Quick game is a catch step throw or throw it out of bounds. Boot and sprint out. Boot and sprint out breaks the field into a third, right? So if you're sprinting right, your read is the right third of the field, okay? If you're and, and same thing with boot. 90 Guys don't throw the backside post on boot unless it's called from the press box, right? So if I run boot and I see backside post, the quarterback can't see it because it's behind his head. So then the next time I call it, I tell the quarterback, check the backside post. So what I'm saying is in order to sit back and actually do a full field read, number one, it's not protected enough because you need three to four seconds. And a lot of guys don't, don't – we don't play football in seven and eight-man protection anymore. The NFL does, but high school and colleges don't, right? High school and colleges are in 10 personnel and 11 personnel and 20 personnel. They don't – like, it's very rare that they keep two backs in for protection. And, and it, we're, we're, in a, we're, we're in a world where those guys get into the flats and run routes, and they like, they like defenders to defend. So, yes, I think, I think the evolution of football is going to turn into a game where there's – it's almost exclusive RPO – with the occasional read the field based on past concepts. But I can argue that they're not even reading the field on past concepts because the coach is calling it based on coverage. So right. for example, you know, for example, if I'm throwing curl flat against cover three or cover four, I know where I'm going to the ball, regardless of reading the field, because I know what window I'm throwing into when I'm throwing curl flat. So um, so, yes, I, I, I think the evolution of the game is turning into more of an athletic RPO, sprint out boot type of game. And I think a lot of guys are getting a little bit more predominant with that pre-snap throw and knowing where to go with the ball post-snap. Wow, Justin? 
Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm hey, just hey, listening. Hey, Coach, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> Justin is not normally the guy that's sitting back here just like <laughs> – Justin is the loud, you know – uh, opinionated person, and you're kind of blowing his mind. And I knew no, that was well, going to hey, happen. So, Ju- Justin, I, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the fact that you even uh, are giving me. You guys are giving me consideration, man. No, I'm just enjoying myself today. I promise you that. So, I just cool. I appreciate learning and just being able to listen. This is amazing. Um, yeah, no, I think I remember evaluating Jameis Winston coming out of Florida State. And watching him and Jimbo Fisher's system, thinking like this is such a true read the field based on this coverage, this tiny thing will change and this route will change and this route. That was, and I remember thinking like this is so unfair to ask of a college quarterback to do because he is doing things like some NFL quarterbacks aren't doing. And then you'll turn on Gundy's Oklahoma State offense and it's like throw the nine, throw the nine, throw the nine, maybe a curl, throw the nine. And now where we are today, it's like college offenses are all so wide open and easy and different. And the way you look at the field and read it as a quarterback is just infinitely different. And well, uh, it's well, before, and, before you answer that, coach, just I have to quote the great Mark Gorsak here for a second and go. Uh, what what conference are you talking about with Gundy? What conference is that? Big 12. Oh, OK. See, I, I, I what I was going to say is. On your Florida State comment, um, I, I want to add to that. If you don't recall, they lost the national championship to a Mariota, Oregon team who yep. ran RPO every single play. And if you if you look back in the first half of that game, they went tray. So for me, um, some guys call it trip, some guys call it tray, some guys call it trio. For if you go back and look at the first half of that game, uh, Oregon ran tray, which is trips on one side. And the tight end on the on the opposite side is a nub. So he's not wide. He's attached, right? Yep. So they ran that formation the entire first half and went RPO, 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 RPO. And Florida State had no idea how to handle it. So, you know, I, I don't mean to I don't mean to chop you off with the Florida State no. analysis, but there's a that's a good that's a good depiction of a game that have possibly turned the tide of what Chip Kelly was doing at Oregon and Mariota to what yeah. Jimbo was trying to do at Florida State at that. You know what I'm saying? No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, that the NFL, the, the read the field scheme has died in college. Like nobody does it anymore. I think it's just, it lacks effectiveness, you know? And it's like, if you go look at what Jalen did this year and, you know, Shane Steichen drew up for him in Philadelphia, you got a lot of beaters you know, you figure out what the coverage is and you throw it. You throw the beater, you know, and that allowed him to get through the picture, you know, of what, what's going on. You know, the only real adjustment that, that he was making is going from, you know, the pre-snap to post-snap picture. Did it change and make that adjustment, throw the beater? Well, you know, the guy that doesn't get enough credit for this this generational change into RPO is Dana Holgerson. And I used to watch Dana Holgerson back in the day and and – Here's what we realize. We realize that slot receivers who, for the most part, are the smallest guy on the offense, we were asking him to block a Sam linebacker who was a 6'3", 240-pound monster, right? So we were asking him to block him on run plays, and we did that for years. We asked this 5'8", 5'9", scat back to block that guy every single play because he was the force player. So instead, what we said is, let's read that guy 
and, and make him either come to the run play or chase this five, nine guy. And when we realized that, that, that that's what we should do, then RPO came to life because now we're not asking guys to block guys that they shouldn't be blocking. Um, and, and, you know, so I think, you know, instead of that slot receiver blocking that monster, now he's running a bubble route or a slant route, um, which is more productive for that young man also. And it keeps him healthy. It's not, you know, it, over the years we're running sweep to that guy and that poor slot receiver is blocking <laughs> a linebacker. And I'm like, geez, that's clearly not right. Let's just throw a pop so, pass to him instead. We don't need to make him yeah. block. <laughs> Ironically, you mentioned Dana Holgerson. He's at University of Houston. Is he not right now? Yes. Oh, is he now? Because he yeah. was at – wasn't he at West – no, no, no. Is he? Was he yeah, at West Yeah, he was at West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. 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 He left West Virginia to go to Houston, and they just okay. moved to the Big 12 this year, which former co-host here, Matt Ungashik, just officially was hired by the University of Houston today. Wow. So That's crazy, awesome. crazy circle right there, right? Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. So he gets to go. So coach is over here going, Hey, don't Dana doesn't get enough credit for that. And now Matt's learning from him. I'm jealous. I'm going to hit up Matt. Yeah. You <laughs> Dana, Dana's a genius, man. He's a, he, he doesn't, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a genius. And he, if you think about too, Houston's had some slot receivers the last few years, take Dell just came out oh, yeah, this yeah. year and sure. Dell made that freaking crazy catch in, in New Orleans. I mean, against New England, excuse me, and yeah, touchdown catch off of the, off the you know it wasn't so much him. Well, yeah, it wasn't so much like the route that he ran or anything, but it's just the fact he came up the ball. But yeah, I mean, but re- re- but remember, Dana was at West Virginia when uh, Pat White and that group of guys were there. You remember that talented group? Oh of, yeah, uh, Steve yeah, Slayton yeah. was there. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. So he had dudes Tavon up there. Austin. <laughs> right, there's a slot receiver right there, Tavon. Absolutely, yep. Stedman Bailey. Yeah, that was, Man, those are good years. Those are good years for college football. Those were good years. Those were good yeah. years. They were entertaining to watch. You know, so that's funny too because that means that. So if he was at West Virginia at that point, that's the Wildcat offense, correct? Somewhat, yeah, absolutely. Yes, because they started incorporating that Wildcat with Pat White, and they did, they did. But I think, was, I, uh, of course, you know, of course, that Wildcat term was something. I, I think the NFL kind of started because it was new to them. But right. I think college guys, like college guys were subbing in the running back to, to run these plays. They weren't calling it Wildcat. I think it was just packages in their offense. And I think the NFL, because the NFL was so against it, it was so against quarterbacks running and all that <laughs> kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So they came up with this Wildcat name and realized that that nowadays it's the norm. Yeah, because David Lee brought that over, who is – quarterbacks coach university uh he was in miami dolphins brought that over when they brought right. Matt white in and he ended up winning wasn't he, he was assistant coach of the year if i remember i think correctly. he was yeah because he brought the wildcat in and was able to successfully do something with it i remember so, that yeah that's crazy and david <laughs> lee is i think he's an analyst now for i can't remember what team he's working for or yeah. or organization but Crazy, crazy stuff. Vanderbilt alumni right there. Nashville, baby. Yes, sir. (laughs) Coach, uh, any last plugs, anything else that you can throw out before we go ahead and wrap this thing up today? No, I mean, I'm humbled. I appreciate you guys having me on. I don't – I'm not a a biomechanics genius like some of these other guys out there. I try to to coach and teach the game the way it should be coached. So – 
but I appreciate you guys having me on. Not expected, humbled, and uh, you guys keep doing your thing, man. I'm, I, I definitely follow from afar. Absolutely. And thank you, Coach, for your time. And yes. Always, always, always get something out of talking to Coach George. I wish it could be a few more hours, but (laughs) thank you so much. It'll be soon. It'll be soon, man. All right. Talk talk soon. I appreciate you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Coach. Wow. What a. Oh, my goodness. Just your face over there was great. Your face. Like, like, I I don't see you look like that very often. It's rare to meet somebody that just knows so much, but he also like he goes back so far and knows so many people and has been around so many, like the game has changed right in front of him for so many years, but he doesn't seem like he's overwhelmed by it or like he's too old school to accept it. He's just so like willing to adapt and be okay with everything going on around him and teach it. It's military training, bro. It's military training. That's how we're taught, bro. bro, Crazy people, man. That's how it is. That's how it is. 1000% put it on the military. So, but yeah, that's about gonna that's about gonna wrap up our show here, guys. Uh, next week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk more about quarterbacks. We got we got all the insight this week, and next week we're gonna actually start really going into it and breaking down different stuff, a lot like we did linebackers last week. And quarterbacks is first off, it's the most popular, it's the most important position on the field. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of quarterback content out there, but. There's not quarterback content like Coach George breaking it down, and there's not really quarterback content looking at busts and figuring out what they, where, where they went wrong. So that's what we got for you right here next week on the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel. So, Justin, you got anything else you want to throw out before we wrap this thing up? No, man. I'm just happy to have Tom on, and uh, we'll age ourselves next week and talk about some of the past prospects and some superlatives, and uh, we'll get into some cool stuff next week. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Yep. But so go ahead, Shane. Let's go ahead. Thank you all. Back at it next week, right here on the sick on the sick podcast with Jeff Ogle. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.